This is a Woodside Church podcast. Hello everyone, good morning. So this is a new experience for me. So I was here in the west, uh, sorry, east, went to the west and back to the east. So I originally came from the east to the west. I come from India. And uh, so I'm thinking maybe there is something prophetic. Maybe I might go back to the east, you know. Maybe I have some work to do back in the east, you know. So it just occurred to me while I was, you know, just sitting here. Just, okay. Anyway. So so good to see you guys, you know. Good to be here. And uh, good to see that you are growing, thriving. And uh, may the grace of God continue to be with our church, both in the East and the West. And um, so as you all know, we are continuing with our series, uh, the DNA series. And uh, the topic allocated to me today is equipping the scattered church. And um, so the first thing to, to, to say is the word church is derived from the Greek word kiriaki. Maybe Latin experts or Greek experts, maybe David Devonish will tell me off. But, you know, I, I presume that is the way you pronounce it. It basically is, it means belonging to the Lord. But there's another word used in relation to the church called ecclesia, which means gathering. Okay? And it, it's, it's the same thing. So we gather together, and that's the church. Now, there is a term called universal church, which means all the believers all over the world, you know, are part of the body of Christ, you know, and it's called the universal church. And when we gather together in a local place, you know, like here this morning, we are, the lo- we are a local church, but we are also the gathered church. And so we gather for, for a worship service on a Sunday, or we come here for consumed or a prayer meeting. So we are the gathered church. And then when we finish the service, go back to our homes, you know, our places of work or whatever, we are the scattered church. We don't cease to be church, we are still church. Okay, so that's what it is. So today I'm going to speak about equipping the scattered church. And David, I think next week, is going to speak about equipping the gathered church. So we are going to look at this topic under two main headings. The first one is equipped for what? Okay, very simple. Second thing is how do we get equipped? Okay, so far so good? All right, so let's look at the first one, equipped for what? And to, to, to help us understand this, we are going to look at some examples from both the Old and the New Testaments. And um, uh, just so that I stay within time, you know, I've only chosen three characters from the Old Testament. I could have chosen so many, but I've chosen three. And the first one is Joseph. So Joseph is a big, big character in the, in the Old Testament. And um, Joseph was a very gifted guy. And uh, so once he was brought before Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, the king of Egypt, and this Pharaoh had a dream that needed interpretation. And none of the, uh, the magicians, enchanters, wise men, you know, could interpret the dream for Pharaoh. And then it was re- re- realized that Joseph you know, could interpret d- dreams. And so Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, but before he interpreted the dream, Joseph at the outset said very clearly, I have this gift, but this gift has been given to me by my God. So he, you know, he made his God known and gave credit to God. 
And then he interpreted the dream, and then this is what the Pharaoh had to say. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Now this Pharaoh, you know, he's a king of Egypt. They have got so many gods there. He is familiar with many gods. Frog is a god, snake is a god. I think the Nile was a god. You know, there's so many gods. I'm not a specialist in the gods of Egypt, but I know that there are so many gods. And this Pharaoh is now encountering the god of Joseph for the first time. And then he says, you know, um, since God has made all this known to you, you shall be in charge of the palace. I trust your God, you know. You know, he's done a good thing. So you'll be in charge of my palace. The next character that we're going to look at is a guy called Elisha. Elisha, Elisha is a prophet. And uh, so he is in Israel. He was living in a place called Samaria. <coughs> and... Uh, um, so there was this guy called Naaman or Naaman. He's the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram is present-day Syria. So this guy is a great warrior, but he has one problem. He has got a skin problem. He's got leprosy. And uh, so there are so many gods in, in Aram, and he must have gone to all of these gods and done all these sacrifices because he could have done anything and no cure. And one day, a young servant girl who was a captive from Israel, you know, and she was working in his household, she said, only if you went to the man of God in Samaria. So Naaman decides to, to go to Samaria, has the recommendation from the king, goes there, and Elisha tells him, go and, you know, wash yourself in the waters of the Jordan seven times and your skin will be restored. And uh, so he's not happy initially because he's thinking, what is this river Jordan? There are big rivers elsewhere. But, you know, prompted by his officials, he goes, you know, and washes himself in the Jordan seven times. And presto, he's healed, he's cured. And he comes back to Elisha, and this is what he has to say. So lots of gods in Aram, okay? But now this is what he's saying. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. He's saying all the other gods are not gods. This is the God, you know. In all the world, there's one God, the God in Israel. And he becomes a believer, okay. And uh, then we fast forward to a guy called Daniel. Daniel is an administrator, but he's also um, a, a prophet, okay. And uh, so um, he was serving in the court of a king called Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream as well which needed, needs interpretation. When kings have dreams, it needs badly to be interpreted, okay? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, none of the magicians, officials, you know, wise men could interpret the dream. And then Daniel said, look, I can interpret the dream. dream, take me to the king. And Daniel also tells the king, look, you know, I have this gift, but this has been given to me by my God, okay? And then he interprets the dream. And then we find Nebuchadnezzar, who is a king, falls down before Daniel, and this is what he has to say. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. He's a pagan king, and he's saying, your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings. And then this king Nebuchadnezzar encounters the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happens is that the king sets up an idol of gold and commands everyone to fall down before it and worship it. And, but Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego refuses, so they're brought before the king. And the king says, if you don't bow down before me, I'm going to put you in the furnace. 
put you in the fire, okay? And this is what they said. They said, if you put, you, if you put us in the furnace, our God can rescue us. We are not going to bow down before you. We only bow down to our God. And he said, even if our God doesn't rescue us, we are not going to bow down before you. And so Nebuchadnezzar angry. He heats the furnace seven times stronger, ties them with ropes, and throws them into the fire. The fire is so intense that the soldiers who throw them in die because of the heat. But to the astonishment, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and he finds not three, but four people in there walking around. And one is looking like a prince of God. And he tells him, come, 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 come outside. And then he's saying, for no other God can save in this way. No other God can save. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar had to say. And then, you know, fast forward the life of Daniel. He, you know, the kingdom of Babylon is overthrown. Now there's another you know, a Median king, Darius the Mede, is on the throne, and, and Daniel is in the court of, um, of Darius. And Darius is an, uh, Daniel is an administrator, and his fellow colleagues, you know, they are so jealous of him because he's a high flyer. He's, a, you know, he's very capable, you know, and he's doing great. So they don't like him, and they want to trap him, you know, and put him to death. And so they'll trap him, and the trick the king into putting Daniel in the, in, the, in the den of lions. And the king cannot sleep that night. He wakes up in the morning, early in the morning, goes to the den and says, Daniel, are you there? And Daniel says, yes, king, I'm here. Because I was innocent, I'm innocent. The lions have not touched me. And this is what the pagan king has to say. <clears throat> Listen to this. For he, uh, so he says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And this is a pagan king. And he's saying, this God of Daniel, he is a living God. He endures forever. His dominion will never end. And uh, there are so many examples in the Old Testament, you know, Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Nehemiah and so many of them. And we find there is a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there was no clear instruction to actively preach the word of God. But these guys in the Old Testament, these believers, they knew their God. They had a fantastic relationship with their God. And as a result of their relationship, as a result of their actions, as a result of their speaking, they revealed God to nations and to kings. And as a result, a number of Gentiles became believers. People like Rahab the, you know, from Jericho, and then Ruth from Moab. And they were, these guys were included in the genealogy of Jesus. And Jesus included, God included all these people, you know, in his purpose. And then we find Naaman of Syria, of Aram. You know, he became a believer as well. And so we find, looking at the lives of these Old Testament believers, that they were equipped to reveal God and to do supernatural things. Hallelujah. So they were equipped to reveal God and to do supernatural things. And then we come to the New Testament, and uh, 
when Jesus arrives on the scene and he's starting his public ministry, he was in a synagogue for the first time, you know, in, in, before, at the beginning of his public ministry. We read that in Luke 4. He was given the scriptures, he was given the scroll, and he opened the scroll to where the book of Isaiah, and this is what he had to say. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So at the outset, Jesus is saying, my key priorities, my key aims are this. One is to proclaim the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that salvation is available for every person who believes, for every person in the world who believes. Second is to give freedom to those who are in bondage to sin and death. And the third one is healing and setting people free from demonic oppression. And then, you know, uh, we fast forward. We find that Jesus is in a town. He's preaching the good news. He's doing lots of healing and miracles and signs and wonders. And the people in the town think, hey, he's a good guy to, you know, to, to have in, in, a, to in our town. Very resourceful person. Let's keep him here. And this is what Jesus said. No, no, no. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. And this is why I was sent. So his aim is to preach the gospel, the good news, all over the land of Israel. And he kept on preaching. And then, you know, so Jesus set out his priorities. And then when he was training his disciples... You know, if you read that in Luke 9, he sent his disciples out into the villages and towns. He was training them. And then he sent in 10, we feel, Luke 10, we find he's sending 72 of his disciples two by two. And this is what he had to tell them. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So preach the good news. Preach about the kingdom and heal anybody who is sick there in, in, that, in that area. And looking at the apostles, what did the apostles do? We heard last week Adrian preaching about the day of the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming in power upon the disciples. And when this happened, an uneducated, unschooled Peter stands up and preaches the word of God, the good news. And what happens? 3,000 people believe and are baptized and are added to the church. And we find that day after day, week after week, month after month, they go on preaching. And the preaching is accompanied by healing and signs and wonders and all of those things. And then we fast forward to Acts 8, where there is this event called the stoning of Stephen. It was overseen by a guy called Saul of Tarsus, who later became Apostle Paul. And uh, so after the stoning of Stephen, a great persecution took place in Jerusalem and the believers had to flee Jerusalem into the, into the surrounding villages and towns and everything. And we'll find that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word, they did healing, signs, wonders, everything. And Apostle Paul talking about this in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God, come to God, be a friend of God. That is what you know, is happening through us. 
Now, you see, God is sovereign. God can do anything he wants. And he does, still does, you know, things independently, like particularly in the Muslim world, you know, where he reveals himself through dreams and everything, you know, to people. And he reveals himself, you know, that way. But most of the time, he chooses to work through you and through me. He is saying, I want to use your mouth, my mouth. He wants to use our hands, our feet. He wants to channel his life through us to others in the world. He he wants to contact the world through us. And he's saying, you know, we are ambassadors. He counts us as ambassadors of heaven. You know, we are not ordinary people. You know, know, we, we have the ambassador of Britain. Uh, going to U.S., ambassadors going to China, India, France, all of those places. They are big guys, okay? So when they go there, they have the interests of Britain at heart. They always promote the interests of Britain. And the Bible tells us that we, you and me, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are not ordinary people. We are ambassadors of heaven, the king of kings, okay? Not just a small nation like Britain, Okay, but sorry about that. (laughs) Praise God. So we find, we find that these apostles and the early Christians, they're not only preaching the word, but they are doing healing, signs, wonders, miracles, and all of those things. So we find there is the word and the spirit, which is one of our key DNAs. Okay, gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. And then Jesus says, okay, I have these key priorities, but he says there is another very, very important thing I want you to understand. And that we find in Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying, you are the salt. I am the salt. Okay? Salt is used as a preservative. Salt is used to prevent rot. It also brings flavor. Okay? So when we are out there in the world, okay, we are the salt. Okay? We are a breath of fresh air. You are the breath of fresh air. Okay? We are the aroma of heaven, aroma of Christ. Okay? And then he says, we are the light. Out there is spiritual darkness. And God says, you know, there is light within us. God has caused his light to shine out of us. And so we are the salt and we are the light. And apostles, you know, and the first century Christians, we read in Acts 2, so they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Why favor of all the people? Because the lives of these guys were radically changed, radically transformed. When the Holy Spirit came into their lives, they were so different to the other people. And the others were drawn to these Christians. They were drawn to these Christians because their lives were radically, they had something different. And when they came to these people, they heard the word of God, and they believed the word of God, and they became Christians, they were set free, they were added to the church. So we find that in the lives of the first century Christians, and your life and my life, the fruits of the Spirit are in operation. 
Okay, fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those things are in operation. So we find the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, fruits of the Holy Spirit in operation, and we are being radically transformed. So to summarize, you know, the New Testament believers were characterized or by or equipped to have one radically transformed lives. Second is, they were equipped so, much so that they were able to tell everyone about Jesus and the salvation that was available for everyone. Apostle Peter, speaking about this in, in 1 Peter 3, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. And the word apologetics that we use comes from this verse, apologia, meaning, you know, to give an answer to everyone. So these two are applicable to all of us, okay? To have radically transformed lives, and secondly, to tell everyone about the good news that is there in Jesus. The salvation is available for everyone. The third one, we are also equipped to perform healing, signs, wonders, and miracles, all right? Now we know in 1 Corinthians 12, God gives gifts of the Holy Spirit as he chooses, Okay, so some of us may have one gift, some may have two, some may have three. Okay, not all of us have everything. Okay, so collectively, when we come together, all this is an operation. Individually, when we are scattered, you know, these happen, you know, in, a, in, in different ways. You know, they may all, not all happen through, through just one person, but they happen through. You know, all of us, you know, we're collectively all of us out there in the community. Now, sometimes you might think, I don't have this gift of healing, okay? And we restrict ourselves, we limit ourselves. But how do you know you don't have the gift of healing? Jesus says, I have given you authority to use my name, you know? So when somebody near you in your place of work or in your neighborhood is unwell or suffering or going through difficulty, you know, just offer can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And if they say yes, use the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, sickness go. And you might find that you have a gift of healing. Okay? So don't limit yourself. Jesus says, you know, use my name. I have given you authority to use my name. So these are, you know, the, 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 the New Testament believers are equipped to do these three things. Now let's get to the Second heading, how do we get equipped? Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without me, you cannot do anything. And then when he commissions his disciples in Matthew 28, you know, he's asking them to go into all the world, the ends of the world, to preach the good news. And he says, go, I am with you always. I am with you, and so you can go. And then in Acts 1, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying, I'm not sending you alone. I'm not saying you go. I am coming with you. I am coming with you. I am God. I, I've got the authority to do everything. And in John 14, he says, if you allow me, I and the Father will come and make our home with you. I'll send you the Holy Spirit to be with you. So we are not alone. You know, God himself is with us. In the first service, Luke 
brought a beautiful song. And he was singing about, you know, God is within us. God is beside us. God is in front. God is, behind, you, know, you know, in front and behind. And you see, God is everywhere with us. So we are not alone. He is with us. We are equipped. And then in John 14, he says, if you believe in me, you will do even greater things than what I have done. And again, he says, you, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So no one should say, I don't have anything. If you have any lack, Jesus says, just have to ask. He's just waiting to be asked. He's in our life. Your life is right in the center. Okay? And he's just waiting for us to ask him. And if we ask him, his promise is that he will do it. And then I would like to talk about Ezekiel 47, which Adrian you know, spoke so beautifully about, in the river of life. This is one of the you know, beautiful passages. I love this passage. You know, there is life within me. There is life within you. The river of life is flowing through us. The river of life is taking us you know, forward into a community. Okay? And uh, where there is fresh water flows, the salt water goes. Okay, and there is life. Different kinds of fishes are being caught by the fishermen. Lots of fruit trees by the side. So lots of different kinds of fishes are being caught. So we go out, you know, the river of life flowing throughout. We go into the community, to our places of work, wherever. And we find people from different languages and nations and tribes. Okay, different nations. From different walks of life. Young, old, professionals, doctors, nurses, physiotherapists. Act, you know, uh, artists, decorators, painters, all sorts of people, business people. We meet all these people and we touch them with the life of God. And what happens? They believe in the word and they become part of the church. They believe and become part of the church. They're all, they all come in and become part of the church. And this church is how we get equipped. We get equipped because God himself is within us. Life is within us. Light is within us. And we are not on our own. So how does this practically work out? So in the morning, let me give you an example. I wake up in the morning. I you know, spend some time reading the word of God. Then me and Sunu uh, sit together. You know, I hold her close or hold her hand and we pray. And um, first of all, you know, we just thank God for what he has done. And then, you know, we ask this, God, we want your likeness. You are our father. We are your children. Give us your likeness. You know, when people speak about, you know, oh, your son looks like you or your daughter looks like you, we are so proud. And God is so proud when we have his likeness in us. And we can ask, God, you know, when we are out there, when we are in our home, I want to speak like you. I want to act like you. I want to be like you. When people see me, I want to see you in me. And that's a good prayer. It's a good prayer. And God will answer it. And the second is, you know, pray for your family. Pray for your spouse. Pray for yourself. You see, when we travel on the plane, you know, they have all these things. When the masks come down, they say, first put the mask on yourself and then put it on someone else. So without you being radically transformed, without you being equipped, you cannot help anyone out there. So ask for your, God, give me the grace to love my spouse, to honor her, to respect her, you know? And uh, for my family, for my children. 
And then you pray for your work colleagues. God, give me the grace to love them, to care for them, to work together with them. And, to, and for the life that is in me to flow into them. Okay? So that is how we pray. It's a simple prayer in accordance with God's will. And God does miracles. So let me give you a few examples, you know. And um, uh, some of them are strategic, like when we start a, a, a Bible study group for people from Kerala, when we started this with Uncle and, you know, Charles and Afros, you know, several years ago, and that was strategic. When we did one in Luton for people from the university, that was strategic, that was planned. But it's not always strategic, you know. It sometimes happens so spontaneously. We had a guy, a Muslim guy, an Iranian guy, come to the church, come to the service. He finished the service. At the end of the service, he was walking out. He felt within him to speak to somebody. So Betty was there at the door, and he spoke to Betty. Betty, uh, I would like to be friends with someone. And Betty brought the person to me, and um, I don't know why she brought you know, him to me. Maybe he was looking a bit Asian, you know. So I said, okay, and you know. And I said, okay, you know, uh, Reza, come, come home, you know, come for a meal, we can have a chat. So he came home for a meal, we chatted for about a couple of hours. He was actually a seeker, and he gave his life to God then and there in our home. And we baptized him here in Woodside. Okay. On another occasion, you know, I was in my office, you know, this Muslim guy who's a work experience student, he came and he was sitting there, busy clinic, and between patients he asked me, what is your hobby? What hobbies do you have? So I said, I do some gardening, I do some traveling, and I said, what shall I say next? And I said, I teach the Bible. So he said, okay. And then after some time, he said, what will you do after you retire? So I said, I'll do some gardening, I'll do some traveling, and then I'll teach the Bible. <laughs> So he was thinking, oh, you know, he just couldn't, his curiosity was aroused. And he said, are you a science man? How can you, you know, hear his science and religion, you know, how, can, how is it, you know, work together? And then at the end of the clinic, we sat for about one, one and a half hours, spoke from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, he went home that night, God intervened in his life. He had a vision of Jesus standing there. Jesus was asking him to come to him and he gave his life to God. And praise God, you know. So God works with us. We work in partnership with God. And so how does it apply to you? You may be a, a mother coming to play group. Maybe you're a teacher going to school. Maybe you're a business person. Maybe you, you, you are a doctor or a physiotherapist or whatever. You know, you can have prayers like this. Just pray like this. I want to have your likeness. Pray for your spouse, pray for your children, pray for your work colleagues, pray that the life that is within you will flow out of you. That's it. Life is within us. We are not ordinary people. When I go to work, I'm thinking there is life within me. That's tremendous. A life within me. And say, Jesus, let this life flow out. Touch my work colleagues, touch my friends, touch my family members. And God does the rest. Praise God. So, Summarizing, to finish off, we are the gathered church, but we are also the scattered church. Our DNA, as Adrian put it, is the DNA of our Heavenly Father. When we become His children, DNA of the Heavenly Father becomes our DNA. And this DNA equips us to be transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory and to reach out as ambassadors of Christ to a dying world all around us living in darkness. Let us stand up and we'll pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you for what you have done in each one of our lives. 
Lord, you have opened a new and living way for us to come to you, to be your children, to be your family, to call you Father. And you have caused your life to be within us. You have caused your light to be within us, Lord. And you have called us to be your ambassadors, ambassadors of heaven, ambassadors of the almighty God. We are not extraordinary. We are not ordinary people. We are extraordinary people. We are people of the king. We represent the interests of the kingdom. And Lord, we pray. I pray for each and every person present here, each and every believer present here. Lord, I pray that you bless each person here so that the life that is within us, the life that you put within us, Lord, we pray that it will flow out into many lives. Oh, Father, we just pray that many lives will be blessed, Lord. Many lives will be blessed. Oh, Father, we just pray that many will come to know you and be part of you, be part of your kingdom, and we'll be part of this church. Oh, Father, we just pray that by the grace that is at work in our lives, we will cause the standard of God to fly high in this town. Oh, Father, we just pray that your name will be famous in this town. Oh, Father, cause this to happen, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Bless you, Ensign. Fantastic. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.